Welcome to episode 13 of the Set the Tone podcast. Today we're going to set the tone with a pop-up edition and keep it baseball-centric. While I might be 5 for 5 in my Super Wild Card Weekend predictions with a chance to go 6 for 6 tonight with the Rams-Cardinals games, I'd hinted in episode 12 in which we set the tone. I wanted to talk about the current lockout uh, between the Major League Baseball owners and the Major League Baseball Players Association. I also wanted to talk about the Baseball Hall of Fame ballots are to be fully revealed or voting uh, should be revealed on January 25th, just eight days from now. But I also wanted to reveal my own and give you my thoughts on some players up for Hall of, Hall of Fame candidacy, uh, see who I think should be in, who I think should be out, quite frankly, and why that is. So without further ado, let's get into it. You can follow along on Twitter at setthetone underscore pod. Again, that is at setthetone underscore pod. I am your host, Tony. We'll begin with the CBA. Uh, last Thursday, the baseball owners, that side of the table, had given a proposal to the Major League Baseball Players Association. And the players, from what we have read, came away disgusted with this proposal. Now, again, these two sides have not talked since December 2nd when the lockout really started. So there is uh, a little bit of a scorned waiting period here. And obviously, in the art of the deal negotiations, you're not going to take the first offer. But what the player side has not done yet is counteroffered. That is an issue at present. When will they counteroffer? Will they counteroffer? What will they counteroffer with are all the questions. But I really think this boils down to the, and I don't mean this in a demeaning way, but the ineptitude of Tony Clark. I don't think Tony Clark from the jump has been a good union rep for the players. Again, this goes back to the last negotiation period where players did not see what the front offices had in store. And by that, I mean the guy in their early 30s was no longer getting a seven, six, seven-year contract for in excess of $100 million. These front offices realized that they could go analytic-driven, moneyball-driven, so to speak, Right and build a team without having to spend big dollars. So what do the players want in return? Well, they want competitive balance. Well, what does that mean? That's a very good question on what that means. The players want to get paid. So there is the argument of shorter service time to free agency, which in my opinion, does not do anything for anyone. Outside of, yeah, the players do get paid quicker, but the problem you still run into for those top-tier prospects that are about to enter free agency, let's use an example of Jared Kelnick in Seattle, right? If that service time was cut from six years to five years, now... The issue that you run into is 
those mid-market teams, while we see them turn around and trade some of these guys before they get to their free agency period because they don't want to pay them, or think of the perfect Francisco Lindor example in Cleveland, all that is going to happen is that the players just going to get traded a year earlier. And that takes away the team aspect of the competitive balance right there. So while I understand what the Players Association is trying to do in getting their guys paid as soon as possible, which I am all for, it doesn't necessarily help the interest of quote-unquote competitive balance. I do like that the Players Association wants to get the league minimum raised. them all for that. Makes sense. And the thing that we also have to remember with this too is when dollars and cents are brought into the entire situation, does it really come down to the competitive balance? Do the players want that? I don't know. Um, if the owners come to offer money and the numbers are right, do we all move on? We have DH in both leagues. Playoffs are expanded. The players get their appropriate cut of money. Does competitive balance go out the window? And what does competitive balance mean? Right? Again, we're just really at the mercy of how these teams operate moving forward. Is there a move here? As I had mentioned that we saw front offices or analytically driven. Do they have another move up their sleeve that once this deal is put in place, they can move forward and sort of jockey around? And then the players are stuck behind the eight ball again. And that's what I'm talking about when I say Tony Clark is not best suited for the job because, well, he's shown us that he's dropped the ball and put the players in a bad situation, right? This isn't a partnership right now. This is one side versus another. And it's going to continue to be that way until the players communicate a little bit better. And by the players, I mean Tony Clark with the MLB. Or be outwardly speaking, I don't need these PR statements that we get through social media, how you're disappointed, this, that, and the other. Come out and give something with a good side. Listen, you're the ones that years ago just got screwed over by who? The owners you felt and Rob Manfred. Whose fault is that for negotiating a poor deal? That's yours. It's on you to fix it. Don't ask for sympathy from the fans. Trust me, there are plenty of times where I have disdain for the owners, and you know if you listen to this podcast, and I don't even talk about it much because it's not baseball season, but I have disdain for Rob Manfred. But I don't have sympathy right now for the players. Come out and fix it. We'll call it down the middle here. But please, hold up your end of the bargain. Just a little bit. And right now, we don't have that. It does seem that the owners are the one trying to push this forward. And that's amazing. That the owners, the ones who are billionaires, that people just naturally don't like because you think that they're money hungry. They're the ones who come across in the best spot here. What does that tell you about Tony Clark and how he runs the Players Association? That tells you every single thing you need to know. So until we really get some more ground here with what the Players Association is going to uh, counter with potentially, there's a lot that we don't know. There's a lot that we will not know outside of what the owners have just offered about five days ago. 
So we'll stay tuned on that. The other thing that I wanted to get into was, again, the Baseball Hall of Fame. The 2022 inductees, possibly, will be revealed on January 25th. And ironically, this podcast today is being fueled by uh, a nice three philosophers from Oma Gang Brewing. And if anyone is familiar with Cooperstown, they are familiar with Oma Gang Brewing. Uh, so we talk about Cooperstown, New York. We talk about Oma Gang Brewing. And we talk about the 2022 Baseball Hall of Fame ballot. So many different ways to go about this. I want to talk about the marquee names that we see here on the ballot. And we'll talk about with those that are returning for their 10th and final year of eligibility. It'd be Kurt Schilling, Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens, and Sammy Sosa. 75% of the names that I have just mentioned also come up with the PED conversation. Now, two of those three names, Bonds and Clemens, are a unique case where we understand the talent that they brought to the table but then also the enhancement from the steroid side of things that inflate the numbers, inflate the careers, and inflate the record books a little bit. So you have that conversation. Where do PED stand? Do they have a place in the Hall of Fame? We look at the Kurt Schilling types of the world here who last year after not getting elected, Kurt Schilling said he wanted his name off the ballot. Now, Kurt Schilling has been outspoken on social media for what we'll call political views. Um, I don't know how the best way to summarize them, but that's being held against him. So this has nothing to do with Kurt Schilling's performance on the field when he pitched as a Baltimore Oriole, when he pitched as a Philadelphia Philly, when he pitched as an Astro for a period of time, when he pitched as a Diamondback or a Red Sox. It has nothing to do with that. It's everything to do with off the field. And that's sort of the problem that we see with baseball writers and the quote-unquote egos that they bring to the table. So those are the guys entering their 10th year on the ballot. Other names of note, Andrew Jones, Gary Sheffield, Jeff Kent, Todd Helton, Billy Wagner, Scott Rowland returning, Andy Pettit returning, Mark Burley, Torrey Hunter, Bobby Abreu, and Tim Hudson. The notable first name or first year names, Alex Rodriguez, David Ortiz, Mark Teixeira, Jimmy Rollins, Ryan Howard, another one, Prince Fielder, I'll say, Tim Lincecum, Jonathan Palpabon, AJ Prasinski. Uh, there are 30 names in total on the ballot you can vote for up to 10. What I'm going to do right now, and I had filled out a ballot as if I were a member of the Baseball Writers Association of America. I am not, but it'd be pretty damn cool if I was. I think it'd be better. I think we'd bring a little bit more of juice, a little bit more of a personality to the vanilla flavors that we get and the out-of-touch flavors, but I'll tell you who I would vote for in this year's ballot. And I'll start with Kurt Schilling. I'll go with Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens, Todd Helton, Andrew Jones, Jeff Kent, Manny Ramirez, Andy Pettit, Alex Rodriguez, and David Ortiz. I'm going to start at the bottom. That David Ortiz right now, and if you look at the ballots revealed, 160 total public ballots, that would be account for 43.4% of the ballots known. David Ortiz is trending the highest 
at 83.5% of the ballots. If this would end today, David Ortiz would be a first ballot Hall of Famer. The issue I have with this is we know David Ortiz failed a test in 2003. There was no punishment at the time. There was a report. He was not named in the Mitchell report, but there was a report that came out. Anybody who knows a damn about how this works, David Ortiz did not do anything in Minnesota. He went to Boston, picked up in a pretty nice fashion, and started a Hall of Fame career. I think it's fair to assume that performance-enhancing drugs played a part in that. Now, the question is, is it okay or is it not? What's the precedent we're going to set? Well, a lot of these writers that we see, turns out it is okay. But David Ortiz, on the other hand, is trending higher than Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens. Now, we know that Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens are... And again, we're talking Hall of Famers here. They are head and shoulders above David Ortiz. And that's not a knock on David Ortiz. It just tells you how good Roger Clemens and Barry Bonds are. But the one thing we see here is they're on their 10th and final year on the ballot. We're still not sure if they're going to get in. Both are currently tracking just above 75%. Clemens 75.9, Bond 77.1, and need about 75% of the remaining ballots that haven't been revealed to cement their spot in Cooperstown. But how are you going to tell me that David Ortiz has the chance to get in his first year when Bond and Clemens have to wait all 10? I understand if we want to set a precedent and we want to use Bonds and Clemens as an example. And here's the other thing. Alex Rodriguez, who failed PED tests, he's only trending at 40.6% on the ballot. He's one of four players with 600-plus home runs and over 3,000 hits, along with Hank Aaron, Willie Mays, and Albert Pujols. We know how good A-Rod is. A-Rod was great in the field. A-Rod is a better player. He's a multiple-time MVP. Three-time MVP, I believe, one in Texas and two in New York, 05 and 07. He's a better player than David Ortiz. So the issue that I have with this whole thing, while I see all four of these guys as Hall of Famers, is that there's no consistency from the writers. Just zero consistency across the board. And they have a hard time understanding what the baseball fan wants, what the baseball fan needs. Therefore, they can't even communicate and convey a message to the casual audience. So how can I sit here as as a casual fan and go, wait, why is David Ortiz going to get in but Alex Rodriguez is not? Bonds, Clemens, why why are they being punished? Because if Ortiz gets in, the floodgates are now open. And if Bonds and Clemens get in, the floodgates are open. But what it at least does is there's a precedent set. Okay, these gentlemen had to wait until their candidacy was nearly up. And they get it. Maybe that's the punishment that it is. Maybe that's an appropriate precedent. And then what you do from there, and this is on the Hall of Fame side, make it be known. I'm not saying smear Bonds and Clemens or Ortiz and Rodriguez, but let it be known that their name 
came in question. But the achievements and the accomplishments of what they did in the game deserve to be a part of the Hall of Fame. And again, it's the Hall of Fame and Museum. Maybe embrace PEDs for once. We understand that they're bad in an ethical standpoint. We understand that, that they're bad. And continue to push that narrative as an active player. Continue to have PED tests, if you'd like. Continue to suspend guys. But also, let's look at the times of back in the late 90s and the early 2000s. Baseball turned a blind eye. It was nasty on both sides. I understand people don't necessarily want to admit it, but it is reality. So we have to accept it. And I go back and forth, and I have for years. Are Clemens and Bonds Hall of Famers, did they embarrass the game? And then I look at the guys like A-Rod and Ortiz. Yeah, they're Hall of Famers. Yes, Clemens and Bonds are Hall of Famers as well. I see them both as Hall of I, I think you can, again, tell a story and paint a picture. And I think, again, baseball is a beautiful game, but this is the problem that baseball has. They have a story here to tell. They just never know how to tell it. The other guys that said I voted for on this ballot, Todd, or I, who I would vote for, Todd Helton. Todd Helton does not get enough respect. And he will be in the Hall of Fame here eventually. He's on his fourth year on the ballot, currently uh, trending at 56.5% of the votes. Last year, he had 44.9% of the overall vote. I, I just, I understand he gets the Coors Field aspect held against him. And you want to say, well, Helton was only a five time All Star. When Todd Helton was a five time All Star, those five years, he hit anywhere between 329 and 372. There were seven other seasons Todd Helton hit above 300. Those seasons, he hit between 302 and 325. He's a lifetime, what, 314 or 319 hitter? Todd Helton is a Hall of Famer. Andrew Jones, here's another one, is a Hall of Famer for 10 years till about 2005. I don't know if there was a scarier right-handed bat at the plate. And then not to mention what he could do in center field with winning 10 gold gloves. Jeff Kent is someone who I think is a Hall of Famer. And make the argument that, well, he played with Bonds and he would be nothing if not for Bonds. All right, sure. But the numbers still speak for themselves. Jeff Kent is absolutely a Hall of Famer. Andy Pettit's one that I voted for. Um, I was having issues trying to come to that 10th and final spot. I was between Mark Burley and Andy Pettit. When it comes down to it for me, it's the postseason numbers. Andy Pettit's the lefty I give the nod to. Manny Ramirez, again, another right-handed hitter who has PED history. But if we're going to let Bonds, Clemens, Ortiz, and Rodriguez in, Manny Ramirez is the one that gets it for me. Kurt Schilling, again, I can put some things to the side that you may not agree with. Kurt Schilling on the field is a Hall of Famer. So some names I didn't vote for. Scott Rowland, who's getting a lot of push here in recent years, as well as Bobby Abreu. 
Although currently Bobby Abreu is only trending at 11.2%, but I do see Abreu getting pushed. I, and it's funny, Roland and Abreu, both Phillies, uh, around the same time period, those were the guys that are in the hall of very good for me. And maybe you make the case that Andy Pettit's that same type of player, but then we look at what he did in October. And that's what changes my narrative. Is that Pettit gets in, but then you put the PED allegations in. But then I look at a guy like Bobby Abreu, I'm not going to vote someone into the Hall of Fame that played right field and was afraid to touch the right field wall. That's something I will not do. Scott Rowland, I I don't know what it is. There was just nothing that ever stood. And there were great numbers when you look at Scott Rowland. It just doesn't scream Hall of Fame to me. And there are people who look back. There was just never a time where I said, Scott Rowland. That's a Hall of Famer I'm watching while I'm growing up. Thought he was a very good third baseman. And you know, maybe that maybe I'm someone who needs to just do more research into what Scott Rowland did. That I grew up in the Philadelphia market. Very familiar with him. Very familiar with what he did in St. Louis. Familiar with what he did in Toronto. For whatever the reason. And maybe the way I see Scott Rowland is the way people see Jeff Kent. Because if you want to make the argument that Jeff Kemp played with Barry Bonds, well, Scott Rowland played with Prime Albert Pujols. So, and we look at Scott Rowland as tracking right now at 68.8% of the vote. Jeff Kent, 30.6, his ninth year on the ballot. It's a great question. The Hall of Fame is fun. I'm very curious to see how this shakes out. But what I wanted to talk about was, again, the hypocrisy of how we see David Ortiz trending his first year on the ballot. There's PED allegations surrounding him. But you're going to punish Bonds, Clemens, and A-Rod. And again, I get the, A- I get the A-Rod punishment. I-, I get it. I get the Bonds and Clemens punishments. But what I don't get is why is there why is there no David Ortiz punishment? And then in his playing career, when he was asked about PEDs, he played the woe is me card and that the reporter's the bad person for asking. It just never made any sense to me. David Ortiz is a Hall of Famer. But why are these other individuals not Hall of Famers? That's the question I'm asking. And again, the consistency or the lack thereof. I don't know if baseball needs to rework their Hall of Fame process. I think football does a pretty good job. I understand that they allow a certain amount in each year. That I don't necessarily love. I wouldn't like that with baseball. I like the exclusivity aspect of it all, and it's possible that no one gets in this year. I think it's a shame to Bond and Clemens if they don't. I think that they should. And again, tell the story about performance-enhancing drugs. Heck, have them speak about it. Make them work it into their speech. Put it on their plaque. Have an exhibit. Make make it a part of the museum that we talk about PEDs. And again, you can tell the story whatever way you'd like. If you'd like to badmouth it, badmouth it. Put it in a respectful way, in an educational form. Do it. 
curious to see how baseball tells this story. Uh, we will get in back into the regular swing of things later on this week. Preview the divisional round in the NFL playoffs. We'll see who advances between the Rams and the Cardinals. We have Bills Chiefs on the docket. We will have the Bucks awaiting the winner of tonight's Monday night game. The Packers will take on the Niners while the Titans get the Bengals. It'll be fun. It'll be fun. And again, we'll see how the Baseball Hall of Fame shakes out here. We will see what goes on with the Players Association and the owners. In Major League Baseball, will the lockout continue? Will spring training be delayed? If I put my smart money on it, yes. Spring training will be delayed as much as we don't like it. But thank you for listening to the Baseball Pop-Up Podcast. Uh, We'll keep moving along here on Set the Tone. If you want, follow along on Twitter. I don't say if you want, you should do it. Just please do one thing for me. Follow along at set the tone underscore pod. Again, that is at set the tone underscore pod for episode 13. I am your host, Tony, signing off.